You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 53 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Seconds to Say. Seconds to Say is an alternative rock band from central New Jersey. Featuring former members of Kelsey and the Chaos and Floral Terrace, Seconds to Say are no strangers to the scene. For more information on the band, check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Seconds to Say. Now here it is, their new single, A Night Like This.
Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. G'day, this is Lindsay from Frenzelrom, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey guys and girls, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I get to sit down and have a stellar conversation with someone in or around the entertainment industry. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode where my wife kind of interviewed me and I answered questions from you guys out there in podcast world. It was our one year anniversary for the show and uh, we had some really good numbers, so thank you guys for checking it out. I didn't know how it was going to be without an actual like famous guest, but you guys liked it, and uh, I got a lot of good feedback, so thank you so much for that. We've been around for 52 episodes, but this is episode number 53, and I could not be more excited about today's guest. I'm going to hold off on telling you who the guest is until I get some business out of the way. You heard at the top of the episode... We have uh, a really cool band that sponsored the episode. They're called Seconds to Say. They're out of central New Jersey. So go on over to all the platforms and check out Seconds to Say. It's at Seconds to Say. Uh, we also have Permanence Tattoo Gallery. My buddy Jacob Harrison's the owner and uh, kind of main dude over there. They are sponsoring this episode and he's going to be a guest on a future episode. And uh, we did the episode while he was tattooing me. It's kind of a kind of unique little thing. So uh, that's going to be out here in a couple weeks. But uh, that's all the sponsors for today. We don't have like, you know, eight or nine like we normally do. So if you guys want to be a sponsor, if you have a band or a company and you want some cheap promo, go ahead and hit me up at TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. I work with all budgets, just trying to keep the lights on. So if you're interested, hit me up and uh, we'll work it out. Another way that you can help the show out if you are interested is our Patreon. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. You can have access to exclusive bonus episodes uh, like live Q&As with me and uh, all kinds of cool stuff like a private Facebook group where people are talking and hanging out. Uh, right now we have 10 patrons. So, I mean, it's slow going, but we're starting to build a community up. I would like to welcome our new patron, Bob Foster from California. Bob, thank you so much for becoming a patron. It means a lot to to me and uh, it really helps keep this thing going because there are costs that are incurred with doing the podcast and you guys, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to give you five bucks just because I like the show. That means a lot to me. It'll always be free, 
But if you guys want to get more involved and help out, head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. Okay, so I'm not going to beg for any more money or anything, but uh, we have a top five list this week. This week's top five list comes from listener Mike in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I love Toronto, so a big shout out to Mike up there. His top five list is top five Canadian punk bands. So I'm going to read off Mike's list, and then I'm going to give you my list off the top of my head. So here is Mike's list coming in at number five, the Flatliners. I got to say, I'm a big Flatliners fan, so that's a great choice. Uh, coming in at number four, Gob. When I was younger, I thought it was G-O-B. I thought it like stood for something. I saw them at the Emerson Theater, I think with Strung Out and some other band way back in the day. And I, I talked to, I think Theo was his name, the, the singer guy. And I, I called his band G-O-B, and he kind of laughed at me. So, yeah, I like Gob a lot as well. I really like that uh, Paint It Black cover that they did for that Kevin Bacon movie. I can't remember the Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes, that's what it was. Yeah, it's a great, great cover. Number three, Mike says Chicks Dig It. I love Chicks Dig It. Old kind of pop punky band back in the day. I remember I think they did some stuff on Honest Dawns, which was that offshoot of of Fat Records. So great, great choice on there. I know they've been around forever too. Awesome band. Number two, he has the Real McKenzies. Um, I've I've heard some of their stuff. I, I can't say that I've like you know digested everything they've put out. I know they've got that Irish kind of dropkick kind of vibe going on. But uh, yeah, I like the Real McKenzies. I have a seven inch that they put out on the the Fat Club when Fat Records did that the seven inch a month club. Uh, yeah, so I really I dig them and I've heard all their comp songs. I don't think I own a like an album though. So uh, yeah, Real McKenzies, good choice. Number one, Mike has Propagandi. Propagandi. I've heard people say both, but uh, that's my favorite band probably ever. So uh, I'll just say right there, I agree with you. And uh, I have some news coming up. A certain singer of a certain band that we were talking about. Uh, we are shooting back and forth some dates, and we're gonna have, hopefully, in the future, fingers crossed. Chris Hanna from Propagandi, 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 is going to be on the podcast. So they're in uh, New Zealand right now. They're on tour. They did some Australia stuff in New Zealand, and uh, when they get back, we're gonna figure it all out. So fingers crossed, and that that's a big bucket list for me. So. That's going to be awesome. So, Mike, thank you so much for your top five list. Now, off the top of my head, I'm going to give it to you. Here we go. Number five for me, I love this band. They, uh, they're not touring anymore. I used to actually tour with them. I played guitar in a couple songs, like whenever they let me on stage with them. Uh, they used to be called Sewing with Nancy. Then they changed their name to The Reason. They're right there out of Dundas or Hamilton uh, in that area around Toronto. I'm sure you, if you live there, you probably know who they are. But yeah, I love those guys. They're like family to me. I'm trying to get them on the show as well. So number five is The Reason slash Sewing with Nancy. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with a band that really influenced me back in the day, and I, I love all their records. And uh, they're kind of controversial. I guess some people like them, some people hate them, but Grade. I love Grade. They were one of the first bands I heard that kind of really pulled off that singy, screamy thing without being like a metal band or a hardcore band. Like it, it was that emotion. I don't want to say emo, but you know, just the way that Kyle from Grade sings, it was different. And it was kind of, for me, it was groundbreaking. So I love Grade. I always will. When they did their reunion a couple years back, the reason I actually opened up for him and I was really bummed that I didn't get to go check it out because I was, I think I was out of the country. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so Grade number four. 
Number three, Boys Night Out. We had Connor on the show a couple weeks back. Their album Trainwreck was a life changer for me. I love that record so much. So yeah, Boys Night Out. Uh, and I think according to Connor, there might be some new Boys Night Out stuff coming in the future. So check that out. If it happens, we'll have Connor back on the show and we'll talk about it. But I love Boys Night Out. So if you haven't checked them out, please go and do that. Number two, Alexis on Fire. I have an Alexis on Fire tattoo. Toured with them back in the day. Did warp tour with them. They're such nice dudes. And uh, I mean, I even, uh, Jordan, their drummer, he was in a band called Jersey, which I was going to put on my list back in the day, kind of a more punk rock band. But uh, I did some touring with them as well when I was back in the day with Sewing with Nancy. Uh, we played some shows with Jersey and Big Wig and up in Canada. So yeah, I've, I love Alexis on Fire. I've loved them forever and uh, you can't beat it. They're back now too. They have a new single out. They're doing a bunch of shows. So I love Alexis on Fire. Hoping, hoping, fingers crossed to get some of those dudes on the show as well in the future. We have some communication going, just trying to figure it out. So uh, that should happen. But then number one, you already know it. It's propagandi. That's how I say it. I'm an American. I have heard Chris in interviews say propagandi. So, you know, who knows? If that, but that is my favorite band. I, uh, I love them. They're so good. I've told this story on the show before, but when I was on tour in Canada one time, I was at this bar and I was hanging out with this guy and uh, talking about music and stuff. And, and, and he asked me who one of my favorite bands were. And I said, Oh, I love propaganda. And I didn't realize it, but it was Chris from propaganda. And I just didn't know because at that point I'd never seen them live and I'd never seen a picture of them because their records never had pictures of them. And this was kind of like, the internet was a thing, but I wasn't on the internet like trying to see what everybody in all the bands I like look like. So it was a funny story, and I, I hope to tell him that when he's on the show. But yeah, that's my top five, Mike. Uh, number five, The Reason slash Sewing with Nancy. Number four, Grade. Number three, Boys Night Out. Number two, Alexis on Fire. And number one, Propagandi. So thank you so much for the top five list. If you guys have a top five list, hit me up on Instagram or any of the social media platforms at TOTOT podcast, send it in and uh, you could be featured on the show. So that's about enough of me gabbing. I want to get into today's episode. Today I got to sit down with this. This episode is great. Uh, Lindsay McDougal, they call him Dr. McDougal from the band Frenzelrom, amazing band out of Australia. They did some stuff with Fat Records. Uh, they've recorded at the Blasting Room out in Colorado with the Descendants guys. They are just, they're an awesome band and Lindsay is. He's on the radio in Australia. He's kind of a, I guess he's kind of a celebrity over there in Australia. So hopefully I get some uh, really cool Australian listeners to this podcast, but he could not have been a nicer guy. And with the time difference, you know, I was getting a hold of him. Like, I don't even know when it was, but like for him, it was like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. And uh, he was the best dude ever. And we had such a good conversation. And me being the, you know, the fanboy I am for Silver Chair, I was asking him about, you know, talking to Daniel Johns on like, you know, on the radio and whatnot. So it was a lot of fun, man. And I think you're really going to enjoy it, but I'm going to stop gabbing, you know, make sure to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you check out your podcast. But I'm going to get right into my conversation right now with Mr. Lindsay McDougal from the awesome Australian band Friends Rom. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Lindsay from Frenzelrom. How are you today, man? Um, well, I'm, I think I'm good. This is, I, I don't know if you've 
had, you know, this at the start of a podcast, but I got out of the shower this morning and it is morning here at 7am and I had a little shower, I got out of the shower and I was a bit itchy and um, I think that one time on tour being two nights ago, I think I may have got measles. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Well, this is, I don't know yet. And I think this, this next hour will be quite revealing. So I didn't, I, it started kind of around my tummy Yeah. and I've got like, <laughs> I've got like one right outside my belly button and one just down below my belly button. I should send you a photo of this, shouldn't I, to accompany the podcast. <laughs> one just below and there's one just on my leg. It's kind of, around my stomach and my legs and you know how for some reason measles is a thing again now because people have stopped vaccinating their kids my wife and i were just talking about this literally two hours ago how she saw Uh, something on facebook about how measles is coming back and and yeah it's not even about the kids that get the vaccinations it's about making sure that it doesn't spread to everybody exactly exactly it's it's kind of like I guess, I guess because, you know, so many, so many other things are coming back. You know, there's bands reforming and everything. So Measles has thought, stuff it, man. We're going to reform. We're getting the band back together. <laughs> We're getting the band back together. Yeah. So uh, yeah. everybody out there, make sure that you uh, be safe and do not contract the measles. Yeah. check. You got to check that your vaccinations are up to date. I think the measles vaccination lasts for years. So I don't know what why this is. But we, we, we played uh, – we were in Adelaide on the weekend playing uh, at a – uh, a band like just Jason and me doing some acoustic stuff at a band's a band had an album launch and we come over and just play guitar like played a set of acoustic songs with them so somewhere between Adelaide or the airport or then my dad's birthday yesterday I reckon I don't know I, I, I'll see if it gets any worse it's not that itchy it's a little bit kind of raw it's I think it's Isn't funny cool? like the times that I've been in your beautiful country I've just always mm. been told that it's the place in the world where the most things want to kill you so now you can yeah. add you can add measles to that list. You can add measles. I know it's hardly that tough, is it? Yeah, I'm in Australia, and, I, and yeah, the, the guy from Frenzel's a bit sick. What's wrong? Was it a was it a spider <laughs> or a snake or a crocodile? Or <laughs> no, it's the measles. It's just the measles. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. Well, I, I <laughs> know that- no effects have. No, I no, I, no effects have like hepatitis, hepatitis bathtub. Yeah, yeah. You know, big sort of tough guys getting out with their sexually transmitted infections. <laughs> and the guy from Frenzel Roms probably just contracted something from sitting too close to someone at the airport. Oh, man. Have you read that book, by the way? I read bits. Of, I, like, I read sort of the first, sort of the start of everyone's chapters just to get the vibe. And then yeah. I just got distracted by something else. It's weird reading books about, about people you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. strange. Like, I'm sure you know those guys better than I do. I've met all those guys. I was really kind of taken aback by by Smelly's chapters because yeah. you don't really get to know him that much from everything they do. But yeah, man, if, if you read any chapters at all, you should go back and reread Smelly's chapters. And it's, and it's written sort of, I think less kind of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, in a show offy kind of way, you know, fat Mike loves to show off. So his story, although it's really serious, <laughs> yeah. has a bit of a exhibitionism vibe to it. Whereas Smelly's is like, Dude, this is what happened in my life. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, he's man. So, he's so rad now. On, on this on this podcast, you know, I want I want to get into everything. But what I'd like to do at the mm-hmm. beginning, I always like to dig in deep and find out how my guests like got into music. Like, what made you mm-hmm. want to play guitar? Like, when did you get started in music? So I was fourteen, and I had already I've been playing piano for a couple of years. My parents got me piano lessons. We. I'd sort of been involved in singing in school musicals and stuff. So all, you know, very, very nerdy and fun stuff. Yeah. And I'd, learned, but I learned piano a little bit and uh, we had a, there was one term in school. So like sort of a, a three month period where 
uh, our teacher got everyone to learn guitar. And, you know, we're all just as horrible as each other playing skip to my loo and all that kind of thing on the, on the nylon string guitars that the school had. And at the end of it, um, the Mrs. Kelly kind of got everyone in school to choose what they, what they would continue for the rest of the year. So she went through everyone at the school and said, okay, so, you know, Erica, you're going to, what do you want to do? Christine, John, Alison, and everyone got to choose. And she got to me. And because I've been playing piano, she must have just thought as if he's like, she pretty much made the choice for me. She said, Lindsay, oh, you'll go back to piano and kept going on. And I got really upset about that. Like I probably would have chosen piano, yeah. but because she made the choice for me, I was like, actually, no, Mrs. Kelly, I'm going to play guitar. <laughs> and, and so it was kind of like just me being a, uh, an argumentative prick. That, uh, it, it, ended it was up your, intro, in your, your intro into being a punk, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 That uh, that punk rock honored time honored tradition of disrespecting your teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Is just... <laughs> but yeah. So from then on, I just started learning guitar. Like as in, like the school had didn't really have lessons, but they let you play guitar in class. And so everyone just sort of, you know, in their school band, I was with the, lumped with all the guitarists, and then started learning. There was a, we had I had some lessons from the English teacher, Mrs. McClintock. Mrs. McClintock was awesome. She was a, I, th- I don't you know when you're a kid you don't respect how cool she was, but yeah. she was. Very, very cool. She even she used to buy my my younger brother's cigarettes. <laughs> it's just not cool at all. Dude, but it's, dude listen, it's pretty, pretty cool. I, I have a teacher. I'm not going to say his name, but he's passed away recently. When I was mm-hmm. in like tenth grade, he used to, he knew that me and my friend used to smoke cigarettes. So at in, mm-hmm. stu- in study hall, he would say Swiss. That's what he called me. My nickname was Swiss in high school. Mm-hmm. He would get us in study hall, and we'd go out to his car and smoke Marlboro Reds the entire study hall, and he'd leave a kid in charge of the class. <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> so. He's obviously gone. Yeah, that kid can teach better than me. I want to hang out with these kids. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go like. listen. I remember we used to go listen to like Queen and the Beatles in his car, and we'd smoke cigarettes for the entire hour. <laughs> That, yeah, that's pretty cool. We, yeah. I think Ms. McClendock did. Ha- she was quite a fan of the Beatles. I remember that. But um, she uh, she didn't. Yeah, she just bought my brother's cigarettes, and she tr- and she taught me guitar. Except uh, there was one lesson where I asked her to teach me "Sweet Child of Mine" because this was like probably like nineteen ninety three, maybe ninety two, ninety two by now. And uh, she taught it to me incorrectly, and I knew she was pl- t- teaching it me incorrectly because my <laughs> ear picked it up, and I was like. That's wrong. I can't. You can't teach me anymore. That's, <laughs> and she was probably doing her best. She's like, "Oh man, this bloody kid! Now he wants me to teach him." You know, this is like sort of three months into learning the guitar. Wants to teach him a sweet child of mine. <laughs> like, poor woman. So yeah, because I because I'd learned piano, I, I kind of knew how notes worked and like because yeah. you know piano is a visual thing. So I, I could hear things, hear the intervals, and then plot that on a piano, and then in my mind switch it to a guitar or whatever, you know. Uh, and so it was. Kind of from then on, I just started listening to stuff and learning to play it. So you mentioned Guns N' Roses with your teacher. What were some of the other <clears> bands that really got you, like that influenced you back then? It was it was 1992, so it was all grunge. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, uh, apart from like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, um, and you know, like a bit of Motley Crue and that stuff, stuff that's kind of easy to play. It was all grunge. Seriously, I, I interviewed this guy for my radio show, Chris Cafaro. He was um, the uh, he sort of like was a grunge photographer back in the 90s. He took photos of all of those people. And seriously, interviewing him was like just a portal into my teenage years. So uh, everything from Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana, uh, we were talking about Temple of the Dog, which is the band that happened before Pearl Jam oh, and yeah. members of Soundgarden. And, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And 
everything because the good thing about that sort of music, with the exception of sort of some of the Alice in Chains and Nirvana stuff, which had a bit of difficulty in it, Pearl Jam stuff at that stage was so easy to play. Like it was so easy to strum <laughs> along to. And, and, then, and also I, I was the music shop near me just had all of those, um, you know, uh, album or five of the best books that you could buy the whole super unknown, or I guess Bad Motorfinger before that, yeah. um, tab books and just learn the tab of uh, all the Soundgarden songs and they had all the tunings and stuff. These days, kids don't ha- don't know. It's a lot cheaper to go and look up the tab online, but it's guaranteed to be wrong. Yeah, that's There's the thing. No if, if you go to <laughs> Ultimate Guitar and you always look for like, because I teach, I teach guitar for a living, so a lot of yes. times we'll do yeah, songs. Yeah. And when you go to Ultimate Guitar, it's like, well, you look for the most stars and the highest rated, <laughs> but it's always yeah. wrong. It's never right. This like I was I was looking at um, and this is how punk rock I am. I was just looking for the uh, chords to the middle section of uh, "Pressure Down" by John Farnham from his Whispering Jack album the other day, just because there's this nice inversion. I couldn't work it out at the end, and no, not one tab thing has got it. You know, not one chord chart online has got it sounding anywhere near right. It's really kind of annoying. But yeah, so you so when kids want to learn stuff from you, do you do you generally go and look it up? Well, um, well here, you go here, look at the YouTubes? Now here, here's the thing. Like I'm, and I'll give yeah. you an example of this of why that's wrong and what I do. I use yeah. that as a jumping off point because sometimes, sometimes kids are like, Hey, I want to learn how to play seek and destroy by Metallica. And I'm like, okay, well I know the mm. whole song by heart. I'll just teach it. <laughs> but if it's a song that I'm not really sure of, or I'm not, I haven't heard a lot. Like kids will bring in slipknot stuff and stuff that I, I mm. like, but I don't really listen to. And so yeah. I, I will use ultimate guitar. I'll use those tabs as kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll find where it's at, but then I'll use my ear to, to kind of make it better. Cause it's never right. One thing that I will tell you, I had a kid that wanted to learn leper Messiah by Metallica. Yeah. And, and I've thought I've been playing that song correct my entire life. And the tab was exactly what I was doing, but I went home that night and listened to it with headphones and I realized that the intro, they're actually playing fourths. They're not playing fifths. Mm. And, and when you listen to it very closely with headphones, you can hear that dissonance of the fourth. Even though it's a perfect interval, it still has more dissonance yeah. than a fifth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, and I figured out and I watched some videos of James doing it live. And I, I think I cracked the code. I, I never knew they played it like that. And it kind of blew my mind. So, yeah, the tabs will get you on the right track. But you you have to put in a little bit of your own kind of musical knowledge to figure stuff out, you know. For sure, for sure, and yeah. So the kids, the kids get like when they get getting taught guitar by someone like you. Is it like is it for them a jumping off point as well? Like, or to, like because these days, you know, I imagine a lot of kids once they get to a certain level of proficient proficiency would do what you do and then just go to watch tabs and YouTube and stuff. Well, yes and no. Like, like I, I, I teach like 60 to 65 kids a week right now. And I've had a lot of the kids, oh, yeah. I've had a lot of the kids for over two years. So what happens yeah. is I've got beginners, which I'm talking like seven, eight year olds all the way up to like adults. And so, yeah. and I always tailor it to whatever they want. If they just want to play songs, we'll just play songs. But nine times out of 10, when we get to the point to where they could just kind of go off on their own, they get very interested in the theory behind it. And the thing is, you can always, I mean, if you get good on guitar, you can go do whatever you want. But if you don't understand, you know, the notes that are in an E minor scale or the notes that are, that make up a Phrygian where you drop the two, like if you don't know that stuff, you're going to be stuck. So I, I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of luck with the kids wanting to continue on with that side of it. And, and that's what I was thinking. Cause that, that's what I was getting at. Cause that's the important thing that I think if you do, if you just learn how to play songs, as opposed to why songs sound like that you'll be very good you, you might get good at copying songs but you're never going to be 
you know, you never understand why the chords are like that or why why are they playing those notes. And that's why I think, um, you know, music music tuition is still so important. Well, I have so many kids now. I mean, the majority of the kids that I have are into metal. And I mean, it's yeah. it's still the same as when I was young. It's Iron Maiden, it's Megadeth, it's Metallica. So what I try to stress, I try to like hide these little nuggets of music theory in the teaching of songs. Like, you know, why, why does that Metallica song sound like that? It, it sounds sad, like the minor key, but it's also got this weird kind of evil sound. It's like, well, that's the Phrygian or that's the Locrian. <laughs> I try to explain to the kids and then they get excited because then they can actually write their own stuff. I, I also teach songwriting and I teach kids how to put riffs together and and I have a camp for kids that put bands together like I try to do like the complete yeah the complete education of being in a band is what I try to do that's rad that's fun yeah I think I think there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of people that could benefit I wish I had someone teaching me besides the so album do I because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much more you can do oh cool that's right so when you you were playing in, in high school then you're listening to a lot of grunge now I'm trying yeah. to think of my my timeline but you're from Australia. I'm sure you've got some connection to Silverchair. They were one of my favorite bands growing up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I know they're uh, they're massive in Australia, probably still. But in in the states, they got really big on their first few records, and I just never quit listening to them. I have every record. I think they're amazing. Daniel mm-hmm. jo- Daniel Johns is probably one of my favorite singers and songwriters ever. Like, so, yeah, when yeah. was the first time you heard of them? And like that, did they get really big in Australia before they got big over here? Well, it was that first song, Tomorrow, which they released on, uh, it was like an SBS, like which is a TV channel here, a, a government-owned, we have two sort of government-owned TV channels, an SBS and an ABC, obviously. And there was SBS competition that uh, they somehow got involved, like they, they ended up winning. I think they sent it to Triple J as well, which is part of the ABC, which yeah. is sort of the radio station. You know. But, um, yeah, so they, it would have been that song, Absolutely blew up. So the one, the SBS thing, Triple J started playing it immediately tomorrow. The first, there's two recordings of tomorrow. There's the, the first version, then there's the album. Version. I knew there was like kind of like a demo version that won them the contest, yeah. right? That's the yeah, right, yeah. So so that was pretty much now. So I I was uh, just turning eighteen then, I think, because Daniel was sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, so when that came out, because I was an authentic grunge fan <laughs> and and you had to have lived the life as in live come from Seattle or Aberdeen or yeah. wherever you know uh, I think I probably didn't have too much respect for them because I was fuck that man even though I had wanted to be exactly what Daniel Johns is doing you know yeah, writing yeah. grunge songs and stuff but I think by that stage I had discovered punk rock and of course uh, when you're a snotty 17 18 year old kid listening to um, you know, obviously the, all the American punk rock, but also listening to Frenzel Rhyme and the Meanies and the Hard-Ons and stuff. Yeah. I, I had no time for this serious angst-filled music anymore that not three months ago I'm sure I loved more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. So you just so, mentioned yeah. you just mentioned listening to Frenzel Rhyme. Now, in the, in the uh, notes that I took in preparation to talk to you, I know that they yeah. formed in Sydney in 1992 and you joined in 1996. So where they were pretty much already kind of a, a bigger band when you joined? Like, what was their status as far as playing out and whatnot? They uh, they had done a lot of things. Like, they, they sort of toured up and down the East Coast. The um, They had not had too much radio success. And this is kind of like it's something that is I'm very thankful for, but I basically came in at exactly the right time where they just had recorded and uh, we're about to release Punch in the Face, the single from Not So Tough Now. Yeah. And that was a song that got played everywhere. 
And um, so I, I, yeah, I got a bunch of CDs. Actually, I bought a bunch of CDs from my friend who worked in a, um, a video shop. And the young, younger listeners to the podcast will have to look up what a video <laughs> shop is. <laughs> Google Blockbuster or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it was, uh, yeah, so I, um, my, my mate Mary Ellen had these CDs. And I, because I was a fan of Friends Will Run, but I hadn't actually didn't own any CDs because I sort of was, I probably spent my last pocket money on Versus or Vitalogy by Pearl Jam. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I was, well, I was. I think that was when I was working. I was working at Coles by that stage. I'd stopped being a school cleaner. I was working at Coles supermarkets. Okay. But um, so yeah, and uh, the um, yeah. So they so they just when I joined the band, they were just about to release Punch in the Face, and uh, it just fucking it just went nuts. And so I didn't play on it. <laughs> I was in the video clip, but uh, and that whole album. Yeah, it was the album that we sort of st- we started touring America and stuff with. So I had so little to like. I had nothing to do with that. It was awesome. I was just riding this the coattails of this album and this song. It was great. Yeah, because I saw that you you joined in '96, '97. You guys performed at Big Day Out, and then later '97, mm. you guys toured the United States with Less Than Jake and Blink One Eighty Two. That had to be crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, that was a ridiculous initiation into um, international touring. I mean, we toured Japan and New Zealand before that, but um, that was, so we, I think we had just put out Meet the Family, which was the first record that I played on. Yeah, that, and then we went and toured over there. My notes say that came out in September 97 and that was your first album. <laughs> you were correct. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so it just come out and then we just got, then now suddenly I'm in America. I'm like 19 years old. What was your first impression of America, if you don't mind me asking? Well, we played in Florida. Uh, so we started the tour in Jacksonville, and we finished the tour in Gainesville, but in between we went all around America and Canada. So it's sort of like a very, very extensive tour that came back very close to where we started from. But the show, I remember because we played uh, Discount Opened, and Discount uh, became one of my great, favorite bands. Great band. I love that band. Yeah. I've since loved pretty much everything that Allison's done um, from like Dead Weather and The Kills. Um, but uh, back then she was like a 15-year-old punk rock kid yeah. and um, and singing amazing. Like, the, yeah, so that was rad. And, and to yeah, to have them play every night and then, yeah, then – and they were also – they were all – there was, I think, three vegans and, and we were all vegetarian at that stage. And um, then – then we played, and then Less Than Jake, and, it, and at some point Blink One Eighty Two. I think Blink One Eighty Two got big that year, yeah. And so the the, the headline switched to Blink One Eighty Two headlining, and then I think Discount left the tour as we got closer to the West Coast. But um, the first the first shows, we were this these absolute snotty nosed pricks from America, sorry from Australia, from Australia <laughs> in America first yeah. time, and we I can't remember I, I can't remember too much about the show, but I remember afterwards. We had a party in our hotel room, which is what we did every night. So we were staying in a hotel, touring in a club wagon, staying in dodgy Motel 6s, and we generally check into one hotel um, one hotel room, and the rest of the band, I think we were touring with, uh, it was like four of us plus a sound guy. I think that was it. And uh, maybe one other person coming and going through the tour. Yeah, I think Chris, our manager, was coming and going through the tour. And a couple of us had hide around the corner, and then we'd all cram in the one room, and I'm sure you know well <laughs> that's what you do for the first few years of your touring life. But then we crammed a whole bunch of other kids that had come to the show into the hotel room, and we didn't know too much about America, and specifically, you know, the, the Florida, sort of the South, the deep South, I yeah. guess, whatever. And we, Jason had this thing where he would uh, – 
pick the Bible up, which <clears throat> the Bible's very, uh, you know, thankfully in every hotel room, he'd pick the Bible up, he'd read a passage, open up to a page, read a passage out in very sort of loud proclamation, and then tear the page out, chew it up, and throw it at the wall. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And it's just it's just ridiculous and, and unnecessary. But in, in Australia, it was kind of a funny thing. We used to make these sort of towers in the, you know, the, it was the side you of the would, wall. You would think it, the kids at a punk rock show would think that's hilarious, but in the Deep South, <laughs> you've got to be very careful. <laughs> As we discovered, this is as we discovered. I think at some point, someone was like, "Well, we'll put hands up here who believes in God," and everyone put their hands up. I'm like, "Oh man, this is very different. It's well, a very different world." I, I think like the majority of all those like Christian punk Christian metal bands come from Florida. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear, and a few of them occasionally uh, go to jail for uh, conspiring to murder their wife or doing something unspeakable. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, to, to, to babies. Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, but the, but the whole tour was rad, and and do and starting off in the deep south, we got to see you know like a lot of Australian bands that that do well in Australia go over to America and they'll they'll play you know the Viper Room or they'll they'll go to uh, to New York and play like some fancy showcase and that happens and that's awesome for them. But the, the fact that we came on and tagged on these tours and we did that for years meant that we just saw the real America, and so we're right there in the middle playing in Baton Rouge and Tallahassee and all these places and just having a like just having the weirdest time, but you know, doing two months of the actual America. Did you, uh, did you acquire like at least a kind of an impersonation of an American accent? Because when I toured in Canada and when I've been, you know, in other places, even overseas and whatnot, mm. I, I've always kind of, when I came back from Canada the first time I was there for eight weeks and my mother said, you sound like you're Canadian. Like my, my whole like way I spoke changed. I don't know if that, <sighs> that happens to people that come to America, but do you have like an American accent that you can let us hear? We have uh, probably a different one for every uh, personality that we met on that tour. <laughs> one of the fa the favorite things. So this is in the deep south, and this guy, you know, chatting to us for a bit in the car park outside a gig. Australia, you guys speak pretty good English for Australians. <laughs> like, and this this is 1997. I know the internet wasn't particularly big, but you can yeah. still Google the difference between Australia and Austria. Yeah. you can still open a book. But then again, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and there was this. We had, there was a there was a, there was a person who used the N word on us. Really, in 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 Texas, but asking if there was any Australian N words in Australia. <laughs> I'm like, what? What is this? Oh man, this is. I'm I'm glad that you don't but, hate yeah. the country that I live in, man. <laughs> no, love it, love it, love it. every like seriously. Uh, Jason does call call, call it. Uh, what does he say? It's uh, it's it's New York and it's uh, and it's Los Angeles, and in in between is just all Canberra, which is like this bo the boring city in Australia, which yeah, is like where I, our I've been there is. before. <laughs> mm. I thought it was but cool. Uh, I thought yeah. it was cool though. That's the thing, man. Like every band I've ever met that comes to America that lives somewhere else, they're so excited. But every time I would go somewhere else, even the places people thought were boring, I was so excited to not be here. So I think it's like <laughs> always always the grass is greener on the other side, you know. For sure, for sure, and I and I I think the annoying thing back then I was such a you know drunk idiot that there was no um I, I wish that I had I wish I did all that now and I could actually go and explore all those places besides I guess you don't get much time to explore when you're doing a show every night and driving seven yeah. hours a day and stuff but these days when I tour you know and it helps that you have the internet so I'll plot where I'm going to go we're going to be in uh, we were in Hamburg for one day last year and. Um, made sure we went and checked out this Russian sub and then went to this, walked, you know, for 20 minutes to this um, vegan burger joint in a department store that someone had said was amazing. You know, you can go and plan <laughs> out these days. Back in them days, 
you get to the gig, you start drinking, you eat the pizza that the venue provides, you play the gig, you pass out, you know, you get to your hotel room, you rip up a Bible, you go to sleep and you do it again. <laughs> <laughs> the Ripping Up Bibles Tour 1997, man. It was, it was, it was. Well, it was, it was actually the Race Around Uranus Tour, which is okay. typical of the level of less than Jake humor, yeah. which I think uh, succeeds to this day. Well, Vin- Vinny's going to be on this show here in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to ask him about that tour. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. he That was... Oh, I can't remember. I mean, they were all. I mean, everyone grows up, you know. These days, Vinny doesn't even tour anymore, does he? He's like no, a, he he does like, like songwriting and like producing mm-hmm. and, and everything. The, everything with the band. He thinks he, just he thinks he's a right. real Brett Gruwitz, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he's a Mister <laughs> Brett, of course. <laughs> that is a that is a good way to be though. If you can just sit at home, hang out with your family, and then still be in a band. <laughs> well, that's the thing with with this podcast, and I talk about it almost on every episode, like. You know, I, I was in a bunch of different bands. I was in bands on Fearless Records and I was in the Ataris and we were touring. Mm. And, you know, once my touring kind of, I kind of took a job, a corporate entertainment job. I was done touring. I've been touring for basically almost my entire life. And then I had kids and I get offers all the time, but I just, I just don't want to be away from my kids. Mm. So this podcast kind of gave me this, this channel to talk to old friends and meet new friends and just kind of still feel a part of what I used to do, you know? It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, 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 for sure. And just get horribly jealous of what everyone else is doing. I, I'm very jealous. Yeah, you got, I mean, that's the thing. I talk to people all the time. Like I was talking to to Greg from Bad Religion or formerly Bad Religion. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm mm. doing punk rock karaoke. We're getting ready to go to Costa Rica and we're doing this and that. And I'm like, man, I, I uh-huh. miss being on the road. <laughs> that's cool. I, I got to sing with punk rock karaoke, I think, on the first Warp Tour we were on. But once again... If I'd realized who was like, I knew, I think I knew Greg Hetson and I think Melvin was playing with yeah. them then as Mel- well. Melvin no used to be a pretty much a, a staple with that group. Yeah. I, like, I, I, I think I got up and sang Blitzkrieg Bop or something, which I probably would have even had to have read the lyrics to. You know, I probably <laughs> yeah. only knew it from seeing Pearl Jam cover it. Yeah. But because um, I was such a, such a half ass punk. But um, the, yeah, it's just like all of those things that happen. I just, would love to have spent a bit time, more time respecting them rather than breezing through them. You know, we yeah. would play gigs. And uh, I remember on that tour, on that Race Around Uranus tour, we played with, we did, I think we were in West Virginia or Virginia Beach, whichever the one, oh, probably, I was going to say, whichever one's closest to the beach. Probably Virginia Beach. <laughs> probably Virginia Beach, yeah. <laughs> but we played, we played, and then Jason, our singer, dragged us off to another gig to go and watch the five, six, seven, eights. You know, it's amazing Japanese all-girl band. And I didn't have any, like, I was like just off my face and barely remember it. I'm like, wow, what an experience to go and, you know, see five, six, seven, eights in Virginia Beach on the same, you know, the same tour. We went and checked out CBGBs on the, when we were in like New York for like one night. I don't remember any of that. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, wish I'd paid a bit more attention. So yeah, these days I pay attention. I'm going to, I, I got um, very lucky to be like the third or fourth ring in uh on guitar for me first in the gimme gimmies and we're playing in europe i've got one week in europe in about a month's time wow that's awesome and i'm playing which is and and so you know as, as wonderful i played with um with uh joey and and dave from Lagwagon many times i, I played a, a, a tour with Lagwagon, played guitar for them back in wherever 2008 or something but um playing with jay bentley from bad religion is something that these days I'm not a drunk idiot. I, I respect the fact that I'm standing up on stage of Jay from Bad Religion and like spend the time chatting to him and stuff. And in Europe, he's not coming to Europe, but uh, there's uh, CJ from the Ramones is coming to play bass. So I get to play bass, play guitar with a Ramon. That's, that's insane. Second tier Ramon, but still, yeah, it's still rad. So when you're getting ready for that, like, I mean, this is kind of a mm. tangent, but you're going to go play with those guys. You said you already did some stuff with them. 
the rehearsal mm. for that, do they just give you a list of songs off of their releases and you practice with that? How do you learn? I mean, I know they're classic songs, but what, what's your strategy for that? That's that, the good thing about it is because they are classic songs, you know them all. You know them. Like everyone knows them. And, you know, I've got one of those ears where I can just work out a song just from thinking about it. But um, the, the strategy, and I love the fact that they don't rehearse. Now, we'll go through some songs in a, in a sound check, maybe, and I'll ask them which parts do I play, which parts does Joey play, and the answer is always, you play the hard bits. But um, the, <laughs> the, um, yeah, the strategy is, here's the set list. If you want, here's, uh, you know, you, you can look up, you know, YouTube, some uh, live stuff to see if there's anything specific that, you know, like difference between me and Joey. But, yeah, you just learn it and you play it, and there's, there's no uh, – it's really good because, you know, so many bands that you're playing back here, and I played in lots of different bands are sort of mucking around, and it's all about the rehearsal. You've got to get it right and stuff, and it's – I feel like what's important is getting up on stage and playing, you know. Yeah. And and if you know it, then you should and you tr- and you trust everyone in the band to know it, and just go and play, go and play. It's great, you know. And do, so do that's they, what it do is. They and, stay pretty like you know with the original keys of the songs, or do they do a lot of like changing for vocals and whatnot? Well, they are they they are changed. The keys are changed for for the Gimme's versions, but the Gimme's versions are almost all on record. I think there's like two songs they play that's hard to find on on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. Um. But then you can just find them on YouTube, like live versions on YouTube. Um. But so yeah, and and they don't do they pretty much play them as they've recorded them. And if if there's not, there's like a couple of weird endings that um you just remember um from being told or or stuffing it up a couple of times or whatever. But so the difference between that and when I, j- I stepped in for um. Uh, the big guy from Lagwagon was that I'd never really properly uh, like sat down and listened to Lagwagon, you know. So, and th- and they are not songs that are enshrined in uh, the public sphere of knowledge. So I had to sit down. Their and songs are not to, easy uh, to play whatsoever. Man. No, no, no. And bloody Leon sitting on the other side of stage, just casually looking at me as we're supposed to be playing harmony parts that I learned yesterday. Yeah, very <laughs> different, very different thing. I had a whole like notebook in front of me on the monitor stand, on the monitor wedge and stuff, but. It's all fine. It's the point is uh, that, and, and this is what you know. Joe, I would sort of come off stage and go, oh, "I kind of stuffed that bit up." And Jay Bentley's like, "Oh well, dude, pretty sure that that kid in the front row thought he was you thought you were doing fucking great." But <laughs> that's that's really the point, isn't it? It's like yeah. the kids at the front who are just singing along and having the time of their life. That's you know, who cares if you just didn't come back into that second verse exactly right? Yeah, totally, man. So I, w- I want to get back on track with this stuff. I love yeah. I love talking about the gimmies, though. I, I think they're amazing. I love the revolving door of musicians, and it's kind of yeah. cool that you get to go it's, play with those guys. It's just so it's so lazy. It's just like, oh, we're going to tour over here. Oh, so that guy can't come. You know, it, one day, one day, it's probably going to be no one from the original lineup. It'll be like Spike's brother singing and a bunch of young kids. It'll be it's like the Phantom. It'll just keep regenerating. Yeah. I mean, I always wanted because Chris Shiflett from the Foo Fighters used to be in No Use for a Name. I know that he originally yeah. was doing it, but I don't think he's done it for a while because you got to yeah. be pretty busy with the Foo's, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. I think I think Scott, his brother, is is the guitarist for the records now. Okay, okay. And or or whoever's around, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a similar <laughs> policy to No Effects. It's like, yeah, we could get El Jefe to play this, but hey, Chuck for I'm uh, not Chuck, like Sasha from uh, the Mad Caddies is around, and he can play reggae better than anyone in No Effects. Let's get him to play on the albums. I think that's I think the, that's. Uh, that's pretty awesome. You know, Mike's got fat records. He's got this stable of musicians. Like I want these guys for the next no effects records. True. 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 So you put you, your first record, like we were just talking about was meet the family it came out in 97. Uh, it was certified gold in Australia. That's, that's pretty awesome. Was that the highest selling record to that point for friends of Rome? 
Oh, gosh, yeah. It was the only selling record to that <laughs> point. I mean, the one before, Not So Tough Now, has since gone gold, but it was released in like 94, sorry, 96. It went gold in like 2012 or something. <laughs> so that is a long, slow creep. Yeah, that one, that, and that was because that was the album that came out after Punch in the Face was released and we had all this momentum and we toured absolutely relentlessly and we're on Shock Records, which was like the biggest independent record label in Australia. And um, they just pushed the hell out of it. And we were every couple of weeks, we were on this breakfast TV show called Recovery. And uh, we were doing, I think, Channel V, which is kind of like MTV, I guess, um, had just started here in Australia. So we were on that a time, a lot of the time. And they kind of, these um, sort of big, uh, you know, TV experiences or whatever, and also with radio interviews, they knew that we would probably say something ridiculous but not too ridiculous. So they would love to get us on because they know we'd do something stupid. And at the time we thought we were like, yeah, man, we're, this is, you know, I can't believe we get to do, you know, get to be absolute assholes on these radio and TV shows. But obviously they knew what they were doing. They're like, yeah, let's get friends of Rom on again. We get everyone, everyone will be talking about what we did. But yeah, so it was, we just got to play so many places and, um, yeah, that, uh, was pretty funny seeing that record. And then the one after just, just go, yeah, like sell so many <laughs> for a bunch of silly songs. Having said that, I think that uh, there was a certain, uh, like for, for the next album, for A Man's Not a Camel, we like, listened, we, we celebrated its 20-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And having a listen back through it, it is so slow. Like it is such a <laughs> pop record. And so, you know. Well, bringing up, very, bringing up, you know, it came out in 1999. You just said you guys celebrated mm-hmm. the the 20 year anniversary. That mm-hmm. was your first your first record on Fat. Where did the relationship with mm-hmm. Fat Records come from? Well, it came from before I joined the band. Um, Fat Record, sorry, No Effects toured Australia. Um, I think Body Jar played a lot of the shows. Friends will played a couple of them, and Body Jar and Friends are Fat Mike's favorite Australian bands, as he likes to say whenever he's in Australia, and probably forgets the second he gets on the plane. But he. Um, he put out a 7-inch, uh, a, a which is the um, – what's the Dugga Dugga Bow Bow 7-inch? Is that what it's called? I think it's called that, which is the song which has the, the chorus, I think you're really nice, but I don't want to fuck you, is, is the chorus. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard and that. that was the 7-inch. And um, and then I think they released a story about the Ruse EP over there as well, in which is uh, – I think it just predates that, and it's just a bunch of silly songs. Uh, and they put out you know put out that 7-inch. And you know, there's no contracts with Fat Rex, so like, yeah, we'll put that out. And – then they kind of, then he kind of forgot about us. So on the walk tour, I remember Jason um, talking to Fat Mike, and I didn't really know. I know he says, yeah, yeah, he was going to do something with us, but you know they kind of got busy or whatever. And I guess it's not going to happen, whatever. And then on the next tour, we came through. We were pl- we were playing at Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco, which is the place that I guess is a very Fat Records kind of bar. Yeah, and we were playing pool again. This is like a true story, but. I feel like it's been sort of blown up to it to its uh, its seriousness has been slightly blown up. We played we played a game of pool. Well, Jason played a game of pool against Fat Mike, and um, Fat Mike jokingly said, "If you win, you know, I'll sign your band. I'll put out your next record or whatever." And so Jason won, and he put out our next our next record. However, I think that the the correlation is stronger than the causation in that point. I think there was a lot of other things that happened behind the scenes there. Yeah. But the timeline is we won the game of pool. And uh, yeah, and, and Fat Records put out um, uh, the Man's on a Camel, which was great because that, they also got the, the the Fat Records version, which has a slightly different um, uh, running order and slightly different track list. Has a, it's better? <laughs> the songs are better on it. There's like one one crap song's been taken off it, and a better song's been put on. And um, 
the uh, and the the cover art's better as well. You can see it a lot. We're actually re-releasing um, Man's Not a Camel soon uh, on vinyl and stuff. You know how you, you the no one no one can buy vinyl anymore, and it's all popular. <laughs> so we're going to re-release it on vinyl. Awesome. Um, but we're using the we're using the Fat Records cover because it's easier to read. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Triple J, which you know we're, we'll get to talk about. I know you worked there and whatnot. But in 2011, they named a Man's Not a Camel that that record number 92 on their hottest 100 Australian albums of all time. That's got to, that's got to feel pretty awesome, right? Yeah. It, it, but well, being that at one point after I joined, um, friends or Rom, we did an interview at, uh, at a festival, a triple J interview at a festival. And, uh, they threw us out of the studio <laughs> for, uh, it was like, there was a, this, uh, interviewer did that thing, which no interviewer should ask, which is, so have you got anything else to say to the people of Australia? <laughs> and, and of course you guys probably did, right? <laughs> plenty, plenty to say. There was some dumb quasi political thing about why don't you guys play more Australian music and why don't you uh, support more of our, uh, of our, uh, you know, our friends, punk rock bands or whatever, even though they play heaps of Australian music and it's that typical uh, sort of ignorant thing to say. But yeah, we got thrown out the, um, the, uh, the, the producer, um, Chris Thompson, and I will swear here, he said, piss off and don't fucking come back. And uh, <laughs> we, we we put that onto a T-shirt, which he's, last time I saw him, he was wearing, which is great. Awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so we kind of got unofficially banned from Triple J in that, uh, you know, that DJ, and I'm sure some other DJs who were mates with her, to stop playing us. But yeah, a few years later, um, they were playing heaps of uh, Meet the Family and Def- oh, a fair bit of Meet the Family and a heap of A Man's Not a Camel. So, yeah, to have that – and that was like a publicly, publicly voted thing, the Hottest 100 albums. Pretty good to have that so, that album there because it was – like at that time, there was heaps of albums. Like there was Spiderbait and The Living End and Grinspoon and Jebediah, like so many bands that are playing like loud, abrasive-ish music doing so well and um, we were sort of just sitting underneath that. You know, we weren't selling the sort of th- things they were. But something to do with the fact that the uh, the mountain we toured and the amount of regional touring that we did, we definitely got to a lot of Australia in those few years um, around that time and the fact that, you know, it was kind of silly music. There was swearing. There was like, you know, some dumb guitar solos and stuff and we jumped around on stage. It kind of got in people's minds and whether it's true or not, when you ask people or when people tell you what their first gig gig is, and my wife will uh, attest to this because so often we will meet someone new and they're like, I don't know if, no, no, if anyone's ever said this to you before, but guess what my first gig was? I'm like, oh, Frenzel Rom, sorry. Yes, Frenzel Rom, you played this little <laughs> festival in the middle. Of, and it's just because we toured so much and we played a lot of all ages shows then because yeah. it was not that hard to play all ages shows. And also at any festivals that we played, like the big ones, like the big day out and stuff, generally we played really early in the day. So by default, we were the first band that, that people saw live if the big day out was their first um, festival experience. <laughs> yeah. where, where, did the, where did the name come from? Maybe I'm just stupid. Uh, but I, no, I, no, it's, no we, it's, you're not stupid. We just lied. We've lied so much about where that name came from. So, but it's, <laughs> like the, the annoying thing is that, and I know that I think Fat Records used to say it was Australian for kangaroo i don't know but um the <laughs> the um it was a science term so there's this physicist named augustus freneau who uh invents he's like he was all about like the way light refracts through things and um you know on uh uh like sort of vans and sort of big ta- maxi taxis and stuff there's that bubble of um sort of glass or perspex on the back window so you yeah. can just see what's that that is that is the the the, theor- the theoretical not the theoretical. The physics behind that is uh, Freneau's ROM, 
Augustus Freneau invented this rhombus that light refracts in a certain way so you've got better vision or whatever. So that is that is where it comes from. However, that, that's got nothing to do with the name. It's like our, our old guitarist, Ben, read that word, those words, Freneau's rom, in a uh, university textbook. And at the time, I think the word Frenzel was just bandied about. I think someone had a, a pet rat named Frenzel around that time as well. It may have come from that, like the timeline's a bit messed up. And so Frenzel Rom just became a thing, and that was the <laughs> band name. And they had to – it was like they, they got to the finals of a Sydney University band comp, and the band name up until that point was stupid. It was like Dr. Something's something with a free set of steak knives, blah, blah, blah. And so they just shortened it to Frenzel Rom went on to um to to lose in the band comp but um but they lost to front end loader who were a fucking amazing australian band and uh and just kept the name from then on i always wondered <laughs> that i always thought the name was really cool but i just i thought like in my you know 17 year old head was thinking oh this, mm. band, this band's awesome they're from australia it must be some kind of slang or something <laughs> yeah for sure for sure it, it's and there's so much of our conversation with americans and north americans on uh, those first few tours was trying to explain what the band names was and how how to pronounce it, especially when you're like at a truck stop and they're like, "Hey, where are you guys from? Well, what's that? Well, what band are you in?" <laughs> we were in uh, Portland uh, on the way to Portland, and this uh, woman in the truck stop was like, "You know, we got the cleanest water in the world. People come from all over the, the country to taste our water. Friends of Rome, and yeah, friends of Rome or uh, friends of Rob." My favorite one at the moment is a friend of ours who uh, thought our name, like this is a woman that, I, we, that we met, my wife and I met a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and she thought the band's, band was called Fred's Wombat. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Fred's Wombat is a great name for a band. Yeah, especially an Australian band, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Well, I, I've, I've got these, uh, these kids, you know, that I teach guitar, and, and a band that I really enjoy is Alexis on Fire, this Canadian band. I know they mm. play in Australia all the time. Yeah, yeah, they're massive here, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I had this kid come in the other day, and he says, have you ever heard of that band Alex is on Fire? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was I like, think I, I, yeah. No, no, I, I, I said, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. I didn't even correct him. I just taught him the <laughs> nah. song. That's beautiful. Alex is on fire. I mean, there's less uh, excuse for it these days because you can hear, you know, like on, on online communities, there's easy ways to find stuff like that out. But I, like, I definitely thought um, uh, Sepultura was Sepultura. I had, I, was I had a student that thought it was Sepultura and I didn't know what he was talking mm. about for the longest time. And I'm like, mm. wait, Sepultura? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, back when I was a kid, we just read it, you know, and we didn't get to hear yeah, it. I yeah. was reading hot metal or smash hits or whatever, you know. <laughs> and you know you had to like guess. I, I there's still names that I probably pronounce incorrectly. Um, Jimmy Jimmy Flamoan from the Frogs and Dennis Flamoan. I pronounced as Flamoin for the longest time just because that's how we used to pronounce it. And I was interviewing Kelly Deal and she corrected me. So oh no, that's 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 Jimmy Flamoan. Like, oh okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's just because back then you didn't have, know any better because you didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. So in, in 2000, I want to, I want to jump to this cause I was interested. Mm. Sorry, but uh, I, I love tangents, man. We can talk about everything, but I've got this. <laughs> I'm horrible with tangents. I'm sorry. Oh dude. I love tangents. This can be a two hour thing. I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, in 2000, you guys were on Epic records with the next record, shut your mouth. Mm. And then they dropped you guys six months later. Was there just not the same response as the last record? Like what happened there? There was a, the, the, the very, there's a very, a very easy answer. Well, there's several answers. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, I would love to say, you know, the, the record label, they, they, they messed us around. They stuffed us over, man. They, they had it in for us from the start, man. They just couldn't, but really that album just sucks. 
Okay. And, <laughs> but it has a lot to, but but it, but it has to do with just some dumb decisions. And I guess signing to Sony, signing to Epic, had something to do with it. They didn't have. Um, they they are so used to signing big bands and having these big pushes of marketing and 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 buzz behind them that uh, selling a, a band that for them is very small. I mean, we'd come into the office and there's a giant Ricky Martin cut out, you know, in the uh, office at every. That's kind of you know you don't have to push a Ricky Martin album; you just have to let, let people know it's there. And yeah. Sell. But um, but yeah, I mean, we we signed to Sony purely for the money because we needed the money. We were on. Uh, we couldn't get on the dole here in Australia because we were touring overseas too much. I remember when I had to get off the dole. So with the dole in Australia back then, all you had to do was every two weeks write uh, the names of two jobs that you were going for. And uh, they were always the, re- the rehearsal studio we rehearsed at and our manager's company. <laughs> and that was it. Blue Murder Touring, Zen Rehearsals or Troy Horse when we switched to Troy Horse. And that was it. And and the deal was that if they, they knew if the, if the um, dole office called up, they go, oh, yes, then – Lindsay McDougall, let me see. Oh, yes, he did apply for a job. Unfortunately, we have no jobs going at this time. And that was how you would stay on the dole. Well, dude, that was the the same thing. I remember one of the first tours I ever went on, I worked at a record store and I had the people at the record store like say they fired me. So the whole time I was on tour, I could get unemployment, which is the same thing that (laughs) you're talking about. So what happened was I couldn't like they would send a card to my house and then I'd have to fill out the three jobs I looked for, send the card back. I wasn't mm. home for like three months. So my father would fill it out and send it in and then put the money in my bank account. So I always had that money every week. That is so awesome. I love that your dad came to the party. That oh, is great. Dude, he was the biggest supporter of anything I did. He was like, That's he goes, right. man, you might be poor the rest of your life, but at least you're not working at a factory, you know? Yeah, for sure. You, you're working at a punk rock factory. <laughs> punk ro- yeah, we were <laughs> a punk rock factory, <laughs> man. Hell yeah. The, that's right. My, my dad um, had, when I, uh, I started university in 1996, um, uh, like a, two months before I joined Frenzel Rom, and um, he revealed that he'd been keeping a, uh, an account, uh, you know, accruing interest for me, like a little term deposit account to, to mature when I start university. So I've got money for textbooks and everything. And then within two months, he'd use that money to buy me my first guitar and amp or help me buy my first guitar and amp. And oh, I'm like, yeah. dad, that is the best. Like, this is the same dad that would yell at me for uh, for singing uh, singing along to songs like, I think you're really nice, but I don't want to fuck you too loudly <laughs> in my room when I was just playing along to Friends of Rom songs in my bedroom as a dumb little kid. And uh, now he's like buying me my first guitar to play with friend, friends of Rom. You, so, you guys had a you guys had a video where all your dads, or at least it said it was your dad. Yes, were, were those your, it was really our dads. dads. Those are your real dads. Absolutely. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So yeah. My awesome. dad, my dad used to work at uh, used to manage Toy World, so it gives you an idea that he, he he's probably uh, you know what sort of a guy he is. He used to manage uh, Toy World in New South Wales, and he used to own a toy shop. Um, and uh, so, but the Toy World's. Um, Toy World's mascot was this bear, this purple bear. And um, so we found him a bear suit to wear in the video clip. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, uh, but Jay's dad is a microbiologist, and so he was dressed as a microbiologist. And Tom's dad, who's since sadly passed away, he's a newsreader in Adelaide. He's like the head newsreader for Channel 9 in Adelaide. Awesome. And uh, so he got to do the to, – to uh, we got him to do the weather on in the video clip, I think. But uh, he was wearing – you know, no pants because that's the rumor about newsreaders. They're not wearing any pants underneath their suit and their <laughs> yeah. desks. And uh, and Gordy's dad is a drunk little Scottish man, which is exactly <laughs> how he was portrayed in the video clip. Yeah, right. that was fun. That's awesome, man. So, uh, I, I had, I had yes, a, we should, I, yeah. But no, I, I had a question. Um, I was reading about this uh, compilation that you organized in 2003, Rock Against Howard. Mm. Now, 
I mean, there's a lot of, you know, over here in the States, especially with the climate now, politics is a huge thing. I mean, what, what's the climate like in Australia and what made you like compelled to, to do the rock against Howard comp? Well, it was, we were very, that was kind of as a band, we were not touring as much by that stage. <clears throat> so we'd, after Shut Your Mouth, I think we were just about to release San Susi. So we were just about to start touring again, but there was a bit of a break there. And um, so we started doing, you know, the standard things you do, which is sort of get vaguely involved in in, in politics. And so there was a lot of, that was at the time, uh, there was a lot of absolute lies being said by, by the government about refugees trying to come to Australia. And, uh, you know, that, that was when um, the word refugee got replaced with, uh, um, you know, like illegal immigrant or whatever, yeah. you know, illegal, illegal asylum seeker and all this kind of thing, which is, that's in, incorrect. The United Nations of which we're a signatory, blah, blah, blah. It is not illegal to, uh, to seek asylum. It's very clear, but the government loves saying these sort of things. And so there was all these issues like that. Was, they were turning boats around in the dead of the night. The Navy were being forced by the government to turn these boats around. Uh, there was these liars that the then, uh, immigration minister, Peter Reith, I think it was immigration. It might have been something else. Said that these there was photographs have you know been uncovered of um, you know asylum illegal asylum seekers throwing their children overboard you know in a, in a bid to force the navy to rescue them and it was absolutely untrue you know the the photos were actually of them trying to keep their kids on board as the navy dragged them through these rocky seas you know it was this horrible fucking thing you know the government's killing kids essentially and there was like another boat that capsized and everyone drowned the government tried to cover it up and then tried to blame the the asylum seekers as opposed to the navy which they were being forced to do the government's dirty work so it was a lot of real, you know, d d despite what people's politics may be, it was the there's some real world outcomes to these horrible policies. So we we all were do doing things. There was marches. This is also while Australia was committing to go to a war in Iraq. You know, when there was as has now been proven, no weapons of mass destruction, and yeah. it was basically just a bid to get control of uh, the Middle East and oil resources, all that kind of stuff, which is so obvious now. But everyone was right there in the middle of it, and we were. Um, we were trying to do something about it, and luckily at the same time, Fat Mike was doing the, it was the punk voter, which turned into Rock Against Bush. And uh, in in the way, in a perfect, perfect, um, uh, synchronous way, just like we stole No Effects's music, I stole Fat Mike's idea for a, a punk rock <laughs> uh, electoral compilation. So we just got a bunch of our mates to to give us songs and chucked them up on uh, and made a really got a friend to design an album cover. I'd never know. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. You know, shock records talked me through how to put out a charity release and they helped with the release. And we only re only released like a few thousand of them. And we did a little tour with it, with a hip hop band called the herd. Um, but it was, it was really fun and felt really good that we were doing this thing that was kind of lending a, like, you know, amplifying what we were all feeling and made us not feel so alone because at the time, I think these days it's easy to get caught up in these echo chambers, especially online with people who believe exactly the same thing as yourself. Yeah. And as a result, you're really surprised when the election doesn't go the way that you want it. Cause like all my friends vote this way. Why the hell is that guy in power? But, um, back then, especially touring around regional Australia and stuff, it was easy to feel that Australia had a lot of race racism issues, and I think it yeah. does have a lot of racism issues, you know. But to then put out something like that and see everyone come and support it, it's like, okay, so there is this these people all across Australia who do want to do see see things done differently and see the rules change. Um, having said that, at the time uh, it was two thousand and four was the election um, where 
which that album was vaguely geared towards with the you know was it whatever you do don't vote liberal was the byline because John Howard's the leader of the Liberal Party here which as everyone knows it's a capital L liberal and they're the conservatives so you know they're the Republicans they're the Tories yeah and um he uh, and he was up against Mark Latham who was the leader of the of the Labor Party uh, his politics back then was very much aligned with the Labor Party. It was workers, it was slightly left of centre, it was, uh, you know, human rights. He didn't win. John Howard won, and at the time we were all a bit depressed or whatever. Now, Mark Latham is uh, a member of One Nation Party, which is one of the most racist parties in Australia, blatantly racist, against Asian immigration at the time. Now they're against Muslim immigration. They are absolutely nuts. The, the leader of it, Pauline Hanson, who is a name that people recognise all around the world, in fact, we once uh, lied and said we were from New Zealand because these people were, were so uh, horrified overseas about Pauline Hanson being in Australia. Um, she doesn't even believe she, – like, she's one of those, like, sort of truthers. She doesn't believe that the Port Arthur massacre, which is uh, the reason that Australia bans all semi-automatic weapons, um, she doesn't believe that happened. She believes it was a false flag, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're just the most backwards, back-ass, crazy, asshole, horrible um, – People trying to win that that uh, that vote for people outside of the major cities who are scared, yeah. feel disenfranchised. You know, they, they 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 don't like the major parties anymore. That kind of capitalizing it, it feels on fear very, kind of very. It feels very familiar to what we've been going mm. through for the last few years here in the states. Really, absolutely, yeah. And, and these, there's no doubt, your Pauline Hansons and Mark Latham, who used to be the leader of the Labor Party, are looking to Trump and looking to the those policies and those ridiculous uh, sort of personality over policy ideas. And um, so anyway, he didn't win the election in 2004, and I'm kind of glad because it turns out he's a fucking sociopath. I mean, yeah, it, look, and, it looks like, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing. Like you got a guy you mm, didn't dig, but maybe you would have got somebody even worse, you know. And as a result, the the Liberal Party was voted out of the next election, 2007, by Kevin Rudd, who was then uh, – Kevin Rudd was a prime minister, then Julia Gillard, who enacted the most number of policies in a minority government any ever, and really good policies too. Uh, Kevin Rudd also uh, – he did the sorry to the Solon generation, so the Indigenous people that were removed from their uh, their families over generations here in Australia. Didn't Not much came of that, but as a, as a symbolic act, it was really, really important. John Howard – Refused to say sorry to the stolen generation, you know. So um, there are, and there, and there was like many, many years that the Liberal Party were not in government for, which may not have happened if Mark Latham had got in. Uh, maybe the coalition Liberal Party would have been in for a lot longer. So anyway, that was it was my first foray into, into politics. These days, it's all a lot. It's all weird here in Australia because you have the rise of these smaller, really xenophobic minor parties. Um, having said that, the Animal Justice Party got two seats in the late in the most recent state election, which is kind of unheard of to have a party that's so, you know, like they're a vegan party, you know, it's pretty funny. In, well, in I, I know, I know that you're, a, you're, you're an animal rights activist, you're vegan. So mm. I mean, that's gotta be, that, that hits to hit pretty close to home for you. Yeah. It's kind of, I'm not real. Like I, I try, I, I get weirded out a little bit by these sort of one issue parties because and I think it's great what they're doing, but I would find it hard to give my primary vote to a party that is, so, even though it's such an important thing, but such a single, you know, a single policy, a single idea. I mean, they do have ideas about lots of other things. And I think, uh, you know, just calling yourself the Animal Justice Party, it also means there's a lot of other things that you're into justice-wise, including the environment and ethics and all that sort of thing. But uh, I feel like the Greens are doing, you know, they are kind of a, a similar party to the Animal Justice Party, but they're kind of broader. But uh, in terms of that whole thing these days of people being, 
um, you know, uh, easily distracted by shiny things such as, you know, big racist uh, idiots, which some people yeah. are distracted and excited by. In these in these kind of days where that that does cut through, Animal Justice Party is something that's going to cut through. You know. Yeah. So I, that's good. Yeah. I wanted to tell you you were talking about the indigenous people of Australia. Uh, I knew nothing of that, and I'll tell you when I was probably in my early twenties, late teens, I started reading about it. And the reason that I did was because I heard the song dead heart by midnight oil. Mm. So mm. I think it's funny that like a band like that, that I always really liked, I heard that song and it actually mm. made me interested to find out political, you know, the climate and whatever's going on in the history of another country. Cause in the United States, I mean, most people don't even know their own country's history. Mm. So, I mean, well, it, my, well, you, you don't get taught. You don't like, in Australia, you don't get taught the indigenous history there are so many lies <laughs> not not just lies but just it's just not part of the curriculum i mean there are, are a lot of things that are part of the curriculum but the massacres of the indigenous people you know there's hundreds of actual documented massacres they have names they have places dates they've been chronicled but they're just not taught in school and bef- and the idea that australia was this harsh unhospitable place you know where uh it's mostly desert and all that kind of thing it completely belies the fact that that Australia was divided up into a whole bunch of different nations that survived for 40, 50, even more thousand years. And people lived in those harsh, inhospitable lands because they knew how to fucking manage them. They knew how yeah. to live in them. And like, there's, uh, there's so much evidence that we came to Australia, the white people, we brought like sheep, we brought cows and what they got to do, they got straight to work ruining the, uh, the land, which had been used so well for tens of thousands of years to grow crops that the indigenous people farmed in their own way. Like there's these amazing stories of planting certain certain crops at certain times so that when those crops uh, grew and, and harvested or whatever, instead of being harvested, they would lure animals to that area. Those crops <coughs> would lure animals and then they would have those animals in that area so they could then just feed off those animals. It's like an ingenious way of doing things, a real holistic way of farming that doesn't involve you know, uh, setting up fences and all that kind of thing. It was all these ways that Indigenous Australians have uh, had used the land that didn't use the land. I mean, crop rotation is one of the oldest, most obvious things, but Australia, white Australia didn't do that at all. And as a result, ruined so much land. Like I live down here in, in the Illawarra in Wollongong and with there's so much land out here that's only good for farming now because it's had for the last 200 and, 200-odd years, it's just had cows and sheep on it where there's evidence that before white settlement, it was it was beautiful, lush land. Like even near the beach you know, where the sun's beaten down, you could still grow crops. And there was like all this evidence of yams and all these other wild Australian um, uh, food being grown that uh, just got destroyed once um, white Australia got in. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you're talking about crop rotation. I, I, mm. I've i never farmed, but I, I live in Indiana, mm. which is in the middle of the country. And yeah. you're driving down the road from this. I live in kind of a smaller city, but it's still a city. But 10 minutes outside of the city, you're in the country. And, and every year, you know, one year there'll be beans in this field. The next year it'll be corn. Like they always rotate mm. and they do all that stuff to keep the, the land going. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, it's just, there's just so much that, you know, once again, you know, I, I think that I wish that when I was a kid and I first joined Frenzel, I'd had a bit more respect for what was going on so I could really appreciate what I was being a part of, you know, touring around the world, meeting all these amazing people. And 
I wish the same thing for when if if white if white colonization of Australia was going to happen. I just wish when we had got here, we'd had a look around and had a bit more respect for what was happening and what these amazing people we were meeting yeah. instead of killing them all and ruining decades and generations of a thousand, sorry, thousands of decades and thousands of generations of, uh, of of knowledge, which is now you know mostly gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally see that, and I mean if if. You know, you, you read your history in America, like we kind of did the same thing. Mm. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, very similar. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like, and this is one of the really cool things. I mean, social media can be really destructive and the internet has is full of so many lies, but I feel like there is so much more knowledge being sent around now. I mean, Twitter, for all of its problems, has a great democracy in that, uh, and once again, this does come down to your a certain um, uh, sort of echo chamber. But I get so much information. People, uh, you know, send, sending stories around the world that you can actually read now that uh, you know aren't being. They don't have to be wait to be published on a mainstream news website. You know, you can find these stories now. I think it's really nice. So I want to switch gears. I, I, I love mm. talking about all that stuff, but I want to get back to. Uh, I have listener questions. If that's okay for you. Yeah. All right. Yes. Sure. I did see you ask these. <laughs> I was a bit scared. Well, I, I always do that. I always, you know, and I, I thought I, at the end of the conversation, normally I kind of tie it all up with the listener questions. I have, mm. I have a nice listener base and they always ask good questions. So I have three for you today. The first one that I'm going to ask you comes from Scott from Melbourne, Australia. And mm-hmm. Scott says, what, since you worked in radio, what is the process of picking which bands get like more radio play? Is there a process behind that in Australia? Yeah. It's money. Just money. Just give us your money. <laughs> no, the uh, uh, at Triple J, the um, it's really kind of it's this. Uh, so basically, just to tell you what how it happens, say on Tuesdays is when the record companies and this is and and anyone can book time. Any record company or anyone with a record can book time to come into Triple J and play a song. To I think it's Nick Finlay now is the uh, the person you play the songs to. Uh, Gemma Pikes all, all, also often there. Richard Kingsmill was kind of the uh, the music director for many many years, and he kind of he's now a slightly uh, a slightly side role. He sort of is a music director over a few different radio stations. But you basically play the songs to them, and uh, they say thank you and add them to a list. And if they like the songs, uh, that they get added to rotation. And the word the the term like the songs is is I think where people get a little bit bristly, and it's very it's a it's hard to explain. So like the song, if if you like the songs, doesn't mean if that person likes the song personally as it fits into their music taste. But basically, music programmers for Triple J, um, and I guess to a certain extent the whole of the ABC have to program for that radio station. So Triple J's uh, audience is eighteen to twenty five. Uh, and all over Australia, so all different genres, all different types of people. So it's not the sort of music that you like, but it's the music that you think uh, should be listened to or would be liked by a broad cross-section of all of those people all over Australia from 18 to 25. So I think that in some respects that does mean that some of the more edgy and uh, experimental music doesn't get uh, too much access to mainstream, like to the main programming of Triple J. But having said that, I mean, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, who are doing ridiculous things with psychedelic music, and I think they've just they've just uh, they, they release like four or five albums a year, and Triple J plays something from all of them because they're so good. And they've they've started they the last three albums went from more their more standard psychedelic fare into like a kind of a seventies synth based thing, like really proto synthy thing. And their most recent album is a thrash album, which they put out like two wow. weeks ago. So and they're getting like they, so Triple J definitely takes chances on 
they also like headline festivals over in Europe and stuff. So yeah. they're hardly a tiny band, but um, there's, yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of bigger thinking objectivity. They've got to think, w- will this song cut through with uh, lots of people and, uh, and fit into the thing? So I think people will always talk about Triple J dumbing down, um, you know, uh, the, the listenership of Australia by only playing stuff that will appeal to everyone, but it's got to appeal to everyone. It's got a massive listenership and you can't have uh, stuff that just doesn't, sound good on the radio you know and, yeah. and a lot of people if they complain about uh you know if they complain about triple j's playlist 90 percent of the time it's because them or their band or their <laughs> friend's band didn't get played yeah totally man okay so uh my next question is from elliot from minnesota he says uh he's a huge fan of yours and a huge fan of Steve Irwin and you being from Australia, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Steve Irwin and what are your thoughts on PETA's recent diss of him on Twitter? Oh, let's well, we'll get to Peter later. Cause okay. that's a let, that could be a long chat. <laughs> uh, Steve Irwin, Steve Irwin, seriously, his heart is hundred percent in the right place. Uh, oh God, I just thought of a horrible joke. Unfortunately, the stingray knew what that place was. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> that's terrible, terrible thing. I, uh, I I bought a shirt. I bought a shirt once, and I said I love Steve Irwin. I love the Irwins, but I bought a shirt once, and I couldn't even wear it. I gave it to my brother to wear, and it just had a picture of a stingray on it, and it had on the on next to the stingray, crocodile hunter hunter. Terrible, oh, terrible fucking joke, crocodile. Yeah. But but uh, you know, but the, the the dark humor is where the, some of the best humor is. But yeah, I think he absolutely was doing it for the right reasons, and he did a lot of great things. I feel like. Australia Zoo, uh, which has amazing, it's got an amazing hospital, you know, for animals, doing amazing work with koalas, and koalas are they're riddled with chlamydia. That's another thing. The animals aren't only trying to kill you; they're they're also being killed by ridiculous things. Most of our koalas have chlamydia in Australia. Who gave them that? Who was it? Was it a member of the Ataris? It was probably Chris Rowe. Anyway, the, uh, I'm not going to say a word, but yeah, probably if it was anybody in the band, it was him. It was probably Chris Rowe. But the uh, the um, I, I just think that some of the uh, their ideas, uh, you know, sort of converting parts of regional Queensland into uh, these habitats for uh, for lots and lots of animals, while well meaning, are ultimately you know it's it's ultimately not fr- you know not freeing for those animals who are kind of being sort of locked into these places that maybe they shouldn't be you know and you always get sad when animals die in zoos because it's generally because they just shouldn't have been there in the first place. But yeah. I have no doubt that the, and not not only in terms of what they actually did, but the message that they uh, that the, the Irwins in general have given to the world in terms of how awesome animals are and how how important they are, I think, can't be understated. Like the fact that this dude in Minnesota knows about this weirdo from Queensland who's <laughs> saved, who was, you know, is, is, is great. You know, the, 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 the biggest uh, Australian personality was before that was probably Crocodile Dundee and he didn't do much for animals, yeah. you know. So I think it's, I think it's awesome that uh, they did so much for it. And people like – groups like Peter – and I've, I've got friends that work for Peter, and they're great people. And once again, they, and there's, there's people inside Peter that are doing such important things, and are the reason that veganism is so popular today. Because uh, back in the MySpace days, Peter was absolutely everywhere in terms of veganism, and uh, Peter Two, which was like the, the targeting younger people, done so much. But they just, I feel like they just think of it. They think the headline, and they think getting the publicity for the headline is more important than actually saving animals. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're asking people to stop using uh, animals in, in metaphors and stuff, you know, don't call people chicken or whatever. Like, you know, who cares? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that there's not, you know, the, the chickens that are, you know, being crammed into a, into a battery facility aren't uh, thankful for Peter 
so that war on the English language, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I think that, but, but then again, Peter also does a lot of really important groundwork, you know, actual on the ground stuff. But I think they find, I think they, they, they always think these headlines are more important and I think they can do a bit of damage, especially in these days of social media where it's so easy to get stuff every, you know, like to hatred seems to be sent around the world as quickly as, as good stuff. You know, we yeah. had some, uh, some coordinated animal rights protests um, in Australia a couple of weeks ago and it's amazing the amount of hatred that happened, you know, and, and hatred's really easy for news news channels to, to latch onto as well. It's much easier to show images of, um, you know, to, 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 to foment the feelings of anger and stuff by showing these images than actually diving deep into why this might be happening, you know. So I feel like sometimes there's less thought behind these ideas than, quick, let's get a headline, and that's possibly problematic. Yeah, so I, I think the same thing. I mean, because I've got buddies that work there. When I, I used to tour with a band called mm. Brazil that was on Fearless Records, and they worked, mm. with, they worked with PETA, and I had a birthday party at PETA, and they did like the soy cake and, and everything. And mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got so many friends that work there. I do eat meat, but I am mm. also you know a champion for animals. I know that might sound like an oxymoron, but uh, <clears throat> I, I just I feel <clears throat> like what you said, they're just trying to see <clears throat> – how many feathers can we ruffle? But man, Steve Irwin mm. to me was like a saint. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love him. I, also, I grew Peter, up on Steve Irwin, you know? For sure. And I, I love that. I love that, Austra- that Americans and, and you know, all over the world, people grew up uh, listening and watching Steve Irwin. Like he made that much of a, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, um, a, a sea shepherd, sea shepherd have a ship named yeah. the SS Steve Irwin. Yeah. Like, because he's, he, like he did that much. And I, I should say, when Sea Shepherd name a ship, it's not just a tribute to the person. It's because that person has contributed significantly financially to the organization. Yeah. You know, the Bob Barker. Bob, Bob Barker is one of the creators of The Simpsons. He he bought a fucking ship for the Sea Shepherd. That's how, Before he died, he was dying of cancer, and he donated money to buy a ship for the Sea Shepherd. And so there's no doubt that the Irwin estate or family um, donated a lot of money to Sea Shepherd. And that sort of stuff is – that's where the you – know, you're going to get a million fucking headlines – but if you're, but it's the cash. The cash is what the uh, is what uh, what actually helps animals and, to a greater extent, the rest of the world. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I've got one final listener question, <laughs> and uh, you actually responded to this kid on on, on Instagram. But Matthew <laughs> from London, England, wants to know when we will hear some new Frenzelram. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. So. Um, when was I? We, we we had a we had one rehearsal. This is the thing. So I live in Sydney. Oh, sorry, I live in Wollongong. <coughs> I don't live in Sydney. I live in Wollongong. So about an hour south of, of Sydney, sort of along the beach between the escarpment and the beach. It's beautiful. Jason lives in Sydney, uh, so an hour away from me. Our bass player Tom lives in Adelaide, and he also lives in he- a hell of his own creation because he's developed a horrible uh, tinnitus at the moment. Okay, which means he's got to he's got to sit out a few of our gigs at the moment, which is kind of shit. And our drummer lives in Melbourne or just outside of Melbourne. So we live in three different states. So we get together to write songs whenever we uh, have a gig uh, that's somewhere near Jason's studio generally. So we did that a few weeks ago, got together and bashed out a couple of songs. And uh, and Jason got together with a different bass player the other day and they had a run through a few new songs as well. And what I'm saying is it's a really slow process. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're always writing songs. We're always, and me and Jason were hanging out on the weekend in uh, in Adelaide where I got um, got the measles. I've got to check that, actually. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, it's this slight burning sensation under my shirt. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, we, and we sort of showed each other the songs we've been writing, like as in 
literally showed showed each other the notes app on our phone with the song titles, <laughs> and, uh, which is and let's face it, friends of Rom, we're friends of Rom. It's the song titles. The so- the actual song is is secondary to the bad joke in the song title yeah, or, yeah. or the uh, the catchy song title. You know, <laughs> so that's uh, so that's a thing. So we're we're going to get together. I think uh, next month. We've got a few days um, up in Sydney, so we'll uh, we'll write some songs. And actually, the reason is because Propaganda are playing uh, up in Sydney and then in Newcastle the next night, and Gordy, our drummer, wants to go to both shows, and I'm going to both shows, of course. Um, they're so one, they're one of my songs. favorites, man. Chris, the yeah. singer, is going to be on the show pretty soon. I can't wait. Oh, that's so good. They're so great. That's good. That's good. I can listen to your podcast and I don't have to subscribe to his Patreon. Just ask him all the questions about all the songs from the podcast. <laughs> I, I <laughs> no, will. I'm kidding. You should subscribe to all Patreons, including this one, including Chris, all of them. Yeah, we, we have a Patreon. If you want to go on there, go for it, man. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so fucking cool. I remember when it first started, Patreon or Patreon, and I was like, man, is this just like people asking for money to write poetry or whatever? Because, you know, Amanda Palmer and stuff, she writes yeah. a poem and gives it to her followers and stuff. But so many people are like, Using it to get get out of the normal confines of a employer employee you know relationship or whatever yeah. it's it's rad. It's I so mean, cool. po- podcasting. I'm at a level now where I have some sponsors. I'm on a network. Mm. I'm making a little bit of money. I mean, it's not. It's just supplemental. Mm. But with the Patreon, what I do is I'll put up like bonus episodes. I'll, I'll do like I'll give out live Atari stuff that nobody has. Like it's mm. just like you know, give me five bucks to help me buy equipment and help me with whatever, and I'll give you some mm. cool stuff nobody else gets. But I I hate begging for money. Like I just do it because like I've not I've got nine patrons. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> Which I mean is it's totally fine with me. I mean, yeah, I'd love to have four thousand patrons, but nine is great, and we have this little community, and I talk to them all the time, and they're they're the best ever for supporting what I'm trying to do. You know? Yeah, it's like it's a, it's just a good idea, and just it, it's a whole democratizing thing. I don't think it's. I'm sure someone will find there's a problem with it, or it's been knocking. You know, it's been uh, denying sex workers like uh, like Possible was doing, or something like that. But I guess we'll find out later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out later after it's too big to be stopped. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, so anyway, propaganda playing. We're all going to go to the shows, and in between, we'll write some songs. Having said that, we generally write between sixty and eighty songs. Um, as in, not just the Genesis, we demo between 60 and 80 songs for each album. Wow. And then at the end of it, we have a, uh, a, um, a spreadsheet. I swear, I, I, I swear to God, there was the, the last Frenzel spreadsheet for the last album uh, where we all vote, basically. We have a spreadsheet and we all vote. And, the, um, and so us four plus our manager, and uh, we basically record the top 20 songs plus maybe four wildcards or something. Uh, and that's the album, <laughs> essentially. Wow. You know, yeah. uh, I think that's how how we did it. Or maybe it was three songs each plus some wild cards. And um, do those other songs ever get recycled into something like work on them more and like they get better? Or are yeah, they, are they just we, gone? We, all of us have the songs that we wish could get recycled, but generally we try and move on. Yeah, there's there's yeah. like there's a few that there's a few our bass player Tom is still holding out hope. That uh, there is still a um, that like you know, songs from like three albums ago. He wants to yeah, get back, get back and and into the songwriting uh, list. But I think we just like to move on. You know, I, I, I recycle a few um, bits of songs, but uh, yeah, there's we, we we recorded two extra songs actually from the last album in the blasting room. There are two other songs we recorded. Um, I guess one of them was oh, there's a great song called. Um, uh, so th- you may get new friends will soon in the form of these two new songs is where I'm going with this. So there was a song called um, like a 
like a like a strip show in an IGA, I think it's called. And basically, it's a great. So it's really fucking hilarious. Jason, Jason, we were we were playing with No Effects in Newcastle, and um, after the after No Effects finished, Jason was bringing his his wife and a few friends backstage to have a drink or whatever, and walked into the band room and. Uh, uh, Fat Mike was there with his then girlfriend Soma, and there was no one. There was like a bunch of people sitting in the room, but no one else was doing this. It was a Soma and Michael kind of dancing in a slightly sexy way, but uh, the band room, the light, you know, was strip lighting, a really bright LED strip lighting, and the rider bucket was sort of half empty and spilt everywhere, and there was like a half eaten barbecued chicken just sitting on the on the thing and they're just doing this like sexy dance in the least sexy of places <laughs> and so jason wrote this song called like a strip like a strip i was like a strip show in an iga or something like that and an iga is a, is a supermarket so basically he, he found that he thought it was like a uh, like, a, like a i think the chorus is like a strip show in iga I think that's how it was like a strip club in an IGA. I can't remember. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, that's one of the two songs we recorded that uh, we haven't released yet. So that'll come out at some point. As for brand new Friends of Rom stuff, some theoretically sometime next year. Okay, cool. I just looked up, I just opened up the uh, the uh, spreadsheet we all voted for. Um, and I can tell you there were 66 songs wow. that we had to vote for, including a couple of those were like two different versions of the same song. Like there's a song called If These Walls Could Talk. We did two versions of that. Which didn't make it. Uh, it was the the thing was if these walls could talk, it'd pro- it, they'd probably say "fucking kill me." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I gotta say, you got you guys have great titles, man. Great. Titles. It's all about the title. There's a great one. There's a song called "Your Band Changed My Life," which uh, had a couple of uh, had a couple of versions, and that was all about uh, Jason got you know uh, people at the at the um, lights at the traffic lights yeah. they'll wash your windows and ask for money. Oh yeah. It happens in Australia quite a lot. And so Jason, that happened to Jason. He was driving his shitty little car and uh, this guy washed his window and Jason went to pay him and he looks in the window, this guy, you know, he's like teeth missing, his face is all fucked up, he's more than likely got a meth addiction. And he looks at Jason and goes, oh, no, man, I can't take any money from you. Your band changed my life. (laughs) Jason's going... From what? That's horrendous. That's yeah, horrible thing. Did your did your band make his life worse? <laughs> no, it's just the scare. It was like the, the absolute scariest, like ghost of Christmas future fucking experience. But unfortunately, that song did not make the cut. Maybe that'll make the next album. Having to think about it now, it is a pretty fucking good song. <laughs> That's awesome. So I've had you on the phone for quite a while, and uh, I know it's mm. early there. It's getting late here. I've got to go get ready to watch Game of Thrones. I don't know if you're a fan, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I, I do have. I have a woman who comes on my uh, radio show every couple of weeks to talk about TV shows that are streaming, and at the moment it's mostly about Game of Thrones. Uh, she's written articles about who she thinks going to die in which order in this series and stuff. So yeah. I won't, I won't spoil it, but I'm sure you'll have fun. I'm sure it'll be fun. Do, cool. do you watch? I love the. Do you watch the show? No. Oh, okay. I watched a bunch of episodes. I interviewed um, the guy George R R Martin a few years ago at Triple J, okay. and I also uh, interviewed John, the John Snow guy as well. So I crammed a few, a, a couple of seasons for those interviews, but <laughs> uh, I have not kept up. I'm sorry. But, but uh, the thing is, though, there's so much TV and it's so much, so easily accessible. You know, I'll just wait until I'm on an airplane, or you know, I've I've got. Uh, you know, I break my back and have to lie in bed for a few months and yeah. I'll just watch it all or until these measles inter- inflame into a full bodied fucking thing and I got to lie down for a week. Dude, I had, I had this whole thing like figured out that I was going to do, I was going to ask you if you liked Game of Thrones and if you said yes, I was going to say, well, you're speaking to me from the future, so don't spoil what happens tonight. But, but, then I, I, but then I Googled it and I found out that you guys get it on Monday and we get it on Sunday. So it's basically the same idea. Yeah. 
That's right. Yeah, it's eleven a.m. Mondays. It yeah. comes out here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's I love that that you know you guys get to watch it on a Sunday night, and it's wonderful. You're sitting there with the people that you love. Yeah, uh, and you're eating some food or whatever here in Australia. People just fucking go to their desk at work, close the door to their office, and watch Game of Thrones, which That's is so crazy. Australian. It's such an Australian thing to do. Yeah. Just watch it during work hours. That's awesome. Okay, man. So uh, <laughs> your current or future projects, I know you just told us about the new Frenzel ROM, but uh, you mentioned working, you're still doing radio stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on the ABC I, I, at, a, at a regional office I, on the ABC Illawarra. So I broadcast, broadcast out of Wollongong and I'm sort of all down the beautiful south coast of uh, New South Wales. So from just below Sydney to just above Melbourne, basically, kind of. There's like two radio stations that take up that geographical space and inland almost all the way to Canberra and to the Snowy Mountains. So it's a beautiful place to broadcast from and I love it. I love working here and talking to people that live around here it's the best it's the best fun you know it's a really and, and it's adult radio so i like interview politicians and stuff which thankfully they haven't looked too deeply into my past <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how can my listeners find you you know give out your social media yeah. stuff I, I want everybody to check your stuff out yeah yeah well there's always stuff like yeah so i'm dr mcdougall because uh i because Dr. Lindemans was my old nickname when I first joined Friends or Rom, because Jason didn't want me to, didn't want someone named Lindsay in the band. So he named me Dr. Lindemans, which is the mascot for a cask wine company named Lindemans. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, so Dr. McDougall on uh, Instagram and Dr. McDougall on uh, Twitter. And I'm easy to find on Facebook if you just look up Lindsay McDougall. I imagine Dr. McDougall is probably the um, web address as well. And yeah, that's where I put everything, like whether I'm doing Friends or Rom stuff or I'm going to go over to. Europe with the, the gimmies or I think I'm playing a show with a friend of mine at the opera house in Sydney in a couple wow. of weeks time. That's crazy. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love how I get to just be like a guitar prostitute and just play <laughs> guitar for all these, these yeah. friends of mine that are far more, far more famous than me or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's, and that's, that's what I'm doing. And that's, that's where you can go and check that stuff out. And that's where you can go and uh, ask when Frenzel's coming back to America. And that's when I get to say to you, probably never. <laughs> well, if you come, <laughs> if you come to America, we're hanging out, man. Yeah, Indiana. I would like see Indiana. That's a part of America I want to come to. I want to come to the real America. Ah, uh, yeah, it's the real America. It might scare you. I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, I, I just like I that. just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And uh, hopefully, you know, when new Friends of Rom stuff comes out or any other projects you've got, you can come back and we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can discuss all the uh, all the song titles and whether the the songs match up to them. That <laughs> uh, sounds great, man. Well, hey, I just want to thank you once again and have an excellent day. I'm going to have an excellent night, and I will talk to you very soon. Enjoy the Game of Thrones. Have yourself a wonderful time, Christopher. Yep, I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Cheers, dude. Bye. Awesome, man. See you later. Bye-bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Lindsay McDougall from Frenzelram. I had such a good time talking to Lindsay, and I hope that he will be back on the show in the future. Um, I've loved Friends Around for a really long time. They were uh, one of the bands on that first fat comp. I think uh, I'm trying to think what was fat music for fat people or something like that. I heard that band. I was like, wow, this band is awesome. And, and, and I just I've always loved them and all their records are great. But uh, I'm going to play some of the new stuff from their most recent record. Their record was called High Viz High T. It came out on Fat Records in 2017. It is their ninth studio album. So uh, before I play something off of that awesome record, I just want to tell you guys, thank you. Thank you so much for, for supporting the show. Like The show is growing 
at a crazy, crazy rate. And I could not be more happy about it. And, uh, I've been getting so much great feedback from all of you out there. And it means a lot, you know, like I, I've said many times, I started this podcast because I can't really tour anymore. And I wanted to have something that was like kind of viable and kind of like that tied me to the scene and like the, the stuff that I used to love to do and getting to talk to people that I know and people that I don't know just about touring and about music. It's given me this cool creative outlet. It's almost like I have a band again. So just thank you for being a part of it. And, you know, if you want to get involved, you go over to Patreon. If you don't want to get involved and you just like listening to the shows, that's awesome too. Anything is great. Even a comment or a like on Instagram, like anything at all. It's awesome. And I really appreciate it. So I'm going to stop talking about all this stuff and getting all mushy. But uh, next week on the show, I'm stoked for this one. Because it was the case of the missing file. Kevin Martin from Candlebox, his last episode that was going to air about a month ago, it was deleted. Somehow it got corrupted on my hard drive or something when I switched computers. But uh, he came back and was really cool and and talked to me for another hour. And I think it, I think it's actually better than the one we did prior. So Kevin Martin from the awesome band Candlebox is going to be on the program next week for episode number 54. So make sure to come back for that. But I am going to get out of here. Like I said, I'm going to play something from uh, Friends of Rom's most recent record, their ninth album, High Viz, High T. This is uh, one of my favorite tracks on the record. It is called Rayon is my spirit animal. So thank you guys so much. And I will see you next week. Chris out. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast